Welcome to The Clinical Entrepreneur, a business podcast that's dedicated to healthcare practitioners just like you who are hustling every day to build a business and a life you're proud of. Join me, Rhonda Nelson, as I share my own experiences and extract actionable advice from industry experts about what it takes to build and scale a profitable wellness practice. This is Rhonda. We are back with another episode of the podcast, and I'm glad you're here. I have another guest today, guest interview, and this one is uh, with Dr. Uh, Teresa Alessio. She's been a guest on the podcast before. We were talking about lichens. She's a trained uh, board-certified practitioner. She's also trained as a pathologist, and her insights in that podcast were amazing. We will link that podcast in the show notes if you're interested. But uh, this time I wanted to have her back because she just loves working with gut cases. And I know so many of you are just fanatical about wanting to really help and restore work with people on their digestive health, which I think everybody has a gut problem to some degree or another. So I wanted to bring her on and just get her perspective about what she does, how she looks at it as an MD that has come over to the light side, as I like to say, but she's just a sweetheart. I think you'll enjoy our very just kind of quiet, nice conversation that we had. But I will warn you at the very end, she really does drop. Um, it's, it's a, it was a mic drop moment for me at the towards the end of the podcast episode. And it still has me I've I've since we've recorded this, um, it really does have me thinking about how I am showing up for my patients. And so she's trained not only as an MD, but she's also trained as a health coach. And that just puts her in a very unique position. So Listen to our very sweet conversation. It was very gentle. Lots of lots of space for thinking, and um, it wasn't a hard driving podcast for sure. But anyway, uh, no more from me. First, let's just dive right in. I'm going to let you listen into my podcast, into my interview with the wonderful Teresa Alessio. Well, hey everyone, welcome back. I have a very special guest that might be familiar to all of you, and her name is Dr. Teresa Alessio. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, Rhonda. I am so glad to be back with you today. Yeah, our last conversation was very popular. I had lots and lots and lots of feedback about it, and it was on the topic of lichen sclerosis, this underdiagnosed condition that affects millions of women, I would venture to say. And it's no one really talks about it. It's not dinner table conversation by any stretch of the imagination. But it was such a good conversation. I wanted to have you back on the podcast to talk about what we kind of alluded to there. And that is that autoimmune conditions are we know that they are deeply rooted in the gut. So today I would love to chat with you more about what you're seeing as an MD, not only a pathologist and an MD, but your work with the gut. I want to talk about how we manage gut cases from an alternative perspective and what we might be missing. So before we get there, for anyone who's listening that didn't hear you about you before, would you just bring us all up to speed about your background and what you love and how you got into medicine and all the things. And then we'll dive into our topic. Okay, great. So I'm Dr. Teresa Alessio. I am an MD. I was born and educated in New York City. I went to school at Mount Sinai School of Medicine more years ago than I can count. (laughs) We don't count anymore. No, we don't count. Uh, No, but I have 
nearly 20 years of clinical experience. I've worked in pathology for most of that, doing, looking at biopsies and also having some interactions with patients. A couple of years ago, I started really investigating and becoming sold on the practice of functional medicine just made more sense to me. And I've found a wonderful community of practitioners and a whole bunch of ideas and testing options that people who can avail themselves of, which is just incredible. And Western medicine people don't really know very yeah. much about. So yeah. I, I just fell in love with that. I, I fall in love with the idea of root causes. I think that that's really what has sold me so much on, on this specialty. And I, I would love to bring it more to the Western docs. It's not that easy, but no. I can do what I can. And I love that you have, you know, I always say, welcome over to the light side. You left the dark side and you came over to the light side. But really, it's not a dark side and a light side. It really is just no. it's just information that the Western medicine doesn't have. And because they're, you know, to some degree limited and they're in a box and they can't get out of the box and they've got regulations, requirements, the AMA, all the things. And so sometimes it's hard to kind of step out of that and consider that what you were trained in may not be the best way. And you have to like, or, or yeah. all, or, or have a hundred percent of the answers. I'll say it that way. And you find that there's a, a whole new world out there of diagnostic tests or procedures, things that you can do that are going to make such a difference for the patient and not leave them having to deal with, you know, medication overload and all the things. So as it has to do with the gut, talk about why you got, I want to know why you got, became so fascinated by the gut. Oh, because of my own personal history. Yeah. Like how did you decide that this, was your bailiwick? I tell you, I, well, as you, as I mentioned, you know, I have read thousands of biopsies, all kinds of GI stuff. Like you can't even, I can't even count. Right. But a few years ago, I had my own bout of, you know, I got to say, like I was not doing well with, with God, I had a lot of symptoms, went to GI and traditional Western GI and said, you know, Hey, I got this going on. I've had, you know, diarrhea for a couple of weeks. This is not good. And he says, well, all right, well, let's do stool for over and parasites. And here's a Z pack. Have a nice day. Yeah. I'm like, like go. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> that didn't quite work. Eventually resolved, but you know, I was never, you know, never, not just really quite right. Yeah. And, yeah. and a couple years ago, I went to a course, it was called anti-aging, just anti-aging. And, and the instructor was talking about the, the GI map test and talked about start all this functional medicine testing. And I'm like, well, what is this? And I was really fascinated by it. I love that. And so, so honestly, I ordered a GI map and I said, well, let's see what this shows. You know, I have symptoms. I've got stuff going on. Let's see. So I did. And wouldn't, you know, comes back all out of whack, dysbiosis, some little H. pylori percolating there, you know, little bacterial overgrowth. And I'm like, oh, well, th this is, this is why, you know, this is what's going on. I'm like, this is crazy. So I, I, you know, researched a little bit. I put myself on, you know, good probiotic. I modified some diet lifestyle stuff. And you know what? It resolved. 
I'm like, well, there is really something to this. <laughs> so woohoo. So I went on and I said, all right, you know, this is going to be part of my, this is going to be part of my arsenal because I'm, I'm opening a new practice, a brick and mortar practice, but I also am carrying on an online business which deals with gut health. And I just dove right into it. And this is amazing. And I started working with clients who have had similar issues of my own. I have found that, you know, the testing is really the first start. You can really get so much information without, you know, putting a needle in somebody or putting a scope in somebody. You, you don't need to do all of that. You can just really, I mean, very plainly, you can just look at their poop and yeah. see what's going on. Well, That's, you know, it's very, very simple. And and we know that, you know, all disease begins in the gut. And we know this, right? We absolutely know this. So having the gut be a focal point of any practice is never going to be a bad thing. And so many people have digestive issues, whether they are upper digestive issues, as in stomach, you know, gallbladder, bile, pancreas, up up top or middle having to do with absorption, bloating, dysbiosis, lower being infection, dysbiosis, et cetera. There's problems. Can problems start in the mouth, end up all the way down at the end of the tube and anywhere in between. So having that focus on the gut is always going to be a good thing. What is the number, what is the top aha moment that you had as an MD looking at the gut and seeing the correlation between the disease process in a person and what could be done. In other words, what, what is an aha where your eyes just went, Oh my gosh, this, this is connected. I would have to say if I had to name one thing that really surprised me and was, I was amazed by was, you know, dealing with treating H pylori infections in clients. And why is and that? It is because after years and years of reading gastric biopsies with or without H. pylori, they always think it's H. pylori and I don't find it. And how taking a biopsy only takes a piece of somebody and you look at it under the microscope and you either see the bugs or you don't see the bugs. But if you do, for example, if you do GI map testing or any other of these other tests that look at stool samples and can detect H. pylori, the amount of prevalence that H. pylori is there in the population is much more than what a little GI biopsy would be able to tell. And to your point, you know, it's one sample taken from one location. And if the bug doesn't happen to live there, then the diagnosis is negative. And I've always said that about parasite, a parasite test, just for the sake of a parasite test on the Western medicine side. And that is, you know, a patient comes in and says, well, you know, my doctor tested me for parasites and I don't have them. And I say, okay, well, so they tested you for 10 parasites. What if you have number 11? You're never going to know. And the test is going to come back negative, but you still feel crappy. So, you know, I, I love that you're, you're really diving in and doing more investigative work with the gut. So you have H. pylori as being a contributor to pathology or symptoms, you know, unpleasant digestion, you know, inability to break down food, reflux, all the things that we know H. pylori is involved with. What would you say are some of the other things that as practitioners, we may overlook as it has to do with stool testing, right? So if a practitioner is going to order a stool test on a patient to get a, more information, to get a map, GI map, in this right. case, a map of the terrain and what's happening in there. What are some other things? Where might we be missing the mark, would you say, based on your training 
other things that could be contributing to this altered gut? There can be a bunch of other things that contribute. So, so your GI map. Okay. So you want to look at the stool. That's fine. You can look at that, but you know what I think we need to be looking at is the whole patient, your whole client, your person sitting in front of you. We look at the whole history, right? So who are they? Do they do a job? Do they not do a job? Are they stressed out? Are for whatever? Why are they stressed out? What kinds of what kinds of external influences do they have? And what what is their what is their mental state? Right. Right. You know, we talk about H. pylori infections and all of the physical symptoms, but you know, do they do, do they have brain fog? Are they depressed? Are they anxious? Are they experiencing any kind of the effects that are psychological, behavioral, that can be related back to the gut? You know, I mean, if you look at 95% of serotonin is produced in the gut. Totally. And if your gut is off and you have reduced serotonin, you're depressed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Are you a, are you a fan of supplementing with serotonin or act you know adding specifically like precursors to provide serotonin or so the body could generate it or are you more of a fan of fixing the gut to allow the gut to produce those neurotransmitters? I'm curious which side of the fence you're on because it's definitely a line. There are practitioners on both sides of that fence. Well, fixing the gut might take longer you know? So, so that's, so that's one thing that you'd, that you'd want to consider because, you know, people who, it would all depend really on, on your individual patient. What, what are they going through? What is their, what is their priority list of issues? You know, maybe you have to, you know, look at their, their behavior, their depression, their anxiety, that's number one. For some people, it's not. Maybe the gut symptoms are, you know, overtake that. You know, I, I think that it it has to be dependent. What you do has to be dependent on tailored to the person that you are looking at in front of you. But I mean, yeah. if you want to look at patients, you know, from that holistic perspective, you need to address what they what they're confronted with in their lives in terms of, you know, behavior, depression, the, the mindset, do they, do they meditate? Do they breathe? Do they move? Yeah. Moving is huge, 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 huge for for brain health and gut health. Huge. Totally huge. What would you say the role of stress and the gut is how much emphasis do you put on that? I put a lot of emphasis on that. Why? I think because stress will raise your cortisol levels cortisol raises your is causes your inflammation to soar and inflammation is no friend right to your gut i mean inflammation is has its place definitely right but systemic inflammation for a cro- chronic and long term period of time is is not good for your gut or for for any part of your body Yeah. So what about mindset? You know, stress sometimes comes down to managing your thoughts. Now, I don't want to discount the fact that, you know, we have all had patients who are, who really do have some, a strong amount of anxiety or whatever's happening in their life, whether it's real or perceived internal, external, 
there's a, 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 a healthy level of stress. And then there's this high, high, high level of stress. But sometimes people can get in their minds where then they're worried about things. You know, I know people like this, they think about it and they worry about it and think about it and they worry about it and they worry about it and they worry about their health and they worry about their kids. And they're always worried about something that's going to have the same effect in disrupting the microbiome as a frank stress of getting up, not getting enough sleep, you know, too much alcohol, too many late nights, too many early mornings, all of that stuff. Would you agree with that? And if so, what would your direction or recommendation be like for, from a practitioner perspective for that patient? What would you recommend in that situation? Well, first to answer the first part, I definitely agree with your statement. I also think that the brain does not differentiate between being chased by the tiger, the stress of being chased by the tiger and the stress of modern life. You know, your body sees it the same way. Your brain sees it the same way. Right. So, so what I'm saying is also that stress is as old as people. Yeah. (laughs) We can't get rid of it. We can't get around it. No, you can't get rid of it. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that is so important is that you know, like, you know, going back to looking at the patient in front of you, like, are you stressed? Are you okay? Just even saying to somebody, are you okay? That can really, that can trigger a lot, mm-hmm. you know? It's a great question. Um, yeah. And who asks that question these days? They I don't ask sometimes, I think sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid of the answer or we feel like we don't know how to handle the answer. You know, what if the patient falls apart in the office or what if they say, you know, I'm not okay. And this is happening and this is happening. And then the practitioner's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. So I think sometimes we don't ask because we might be afraid of what they're going to say, but it is such a powerful question because it's so open-ended. Well, you know, I tell you, we're afraid of the answer because of our own bias and our own fear. I agree. It's, and it has nothing to do with that patient. Right. You know, so it's, it's, so you know, in coaching circles, it's called, you know, coming from a clean place. You need to come from a clean place when you talk to your your clients. You don't bring your own stuff into that room. Right. You know, it's not about me. I can have whatever's going on outside that door, but when I'm sitting in, in that in that space with that client or that patient, it is my job above all to hold space for that person. So good. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what I'm so doing. Good. Right. So I love that. Yeah. And it's a coming from a clean place, meaning, you know, you don't get in the pool with them and be yeah. like, oh yeah, I know. And I can talk about all this stuff. I'm not going to muddy that water. That's their time. That's that person's time. Yeah. Right. So, so I think that's really important to remember when you talk with, with patients and clients, you know, for, for, whether you're coaching them or you're talking to them in your, in your office as a practitioner, and it's not so bad to actually have, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. When we talk to our clients or our patients, they're, they're not our friends. You know, we love them, but we want to take care of them. Yeah. But it's not, it's not an equal relationship. We are there for them. We are there to hold space for them. And guide them and help them achieve the outcome that they're wanting to achieve. 
So and if- sometimes this is exactly what people need. They need to feel heard. They need to feel listened to, yeah. and they need someone to hold space for them. And that is what will help cultivate that relationship with them. And reduce stress. Oh, right. 100%. Just that right there, knowing that they have that place to come. I like right there that my dear friend is the gem of this conversation, I think, is that holding the space for them and coming from a clean place so that there's no bias, there's no judgment, there's no nothing. But when you walk into the room with a patient that there's just a big open arms and a lot of room to just let happen, let what happen, what is going to happen, happen without judgment and allow them to be able to express what it is that's going on in their life. Because if they don't have the ability to either communicate the stress that they're under, the mental load that they're under, the family dynamics that are, you know, causing them issues. If they don't have a place to be able to communicate that, then you're going to just be chasing symptoms and trying to put out fires with supplements or herbs or whatever it is that you're giving. So uh, this is so good. This coming from a clean place and really allowing them to share openly and and I think we all want to do that, but I think sometimes we forget, you know, we just come in with an agenda, like, okay, you've got Hashimoto's let's go. I got to, we got to do this. We need to get you on this. We're going to, and I think sometimes we forget. I do anyway. I just go in with my agenda. Cause I'm like a, I want to get stuff done and yeah, I, I forget. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really hard to, to keep that in mind. And I mean, imagine if you had to go and see 20 patients or 30 patients that day. And maybe you do, maybe, maybe, you know, some, some people who are listening have to, and that is very hard, but, but the, but the fact is you don't need that long. No, no. This doesn't mean it's an hour conversation. It's just really giving them the space. Yeah. Yeah. No, giving them the space, but just dropping all of your own stuff, right? Drop your stuff. I, that like, this is kind of a little bit of a mic drop. I think, you know, the way for us to wrap up our conversation is to really think about the role, you know, the fact that these patients and ourselves too, I mean, I would say all of us are feeling stress. We're feeling at the, at least right now today, at the time of this recording, we're feeling, you know, economic pressure, there's political pressure, there's world pressure, you know, world national government kind of pressure. There's you know, putting food on the table pressure. There's all these things that are happening outside of our world that we have little to no control over. And some do better at managing and assessing and and I should say putting that in context inside your life and your belief system to not let it affect you like that. But I can say from my own practice and the friends, people that I know that many people can't, they're not doing well right now. You know, we're three years COVID, post-COVID or into however you want to language that. So we've had a lot of stress lately. And so more and more people have been exposed to that chronic long-term stress. And it's it will dysregulate not only the gut, but it dysregulates our ability to connect with people, to do our jobs, to show up for work. It's going to mess up blood sugar. Like the, you know, the list goes on and on and on. But if we're going to tie it back to the gut, I think as a clinician, please like jump in and add anything else you would say, but I would mm. definitely say if there's a gut issue that, that this conversation about their stress, you know, how are you doing and holding that space for them has got to be something we've got to consider and at least keep top of mind a little bit more often. I definitely agree. And the only thing I would add to 
anyone who is a practitioner and, and for all of us, you know, one very important thing is that give yourself some grace and give your patients grace. Yeah. You know, not everybody can verbalize what, what is bothering them. And it doesn't always come out in the prettiest way, but you know what, if we give ourselves grace and we say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm trying, I'm doing a good job. You know, that goes a heck of a long way. And let the patient know too, the same thing, you know, you have to believe in yourself, give yourself grace, but then when you give them grace, we can give them grace in our minds, but sometimes going that extra mile and just saying, listen, I've got lots of space for you. We have lots of time and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on your team. Like this is, let's go you and me together. We're on the team together. And sometimes, you know, you might, as a practitioner, you may be the only person in their life that really believes in them and hears them. And sometimes that's true. Yep. It is. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Like I, I literally kind of don't know what to say. This is really impact. This last little bit here, especially has really impacted me about holding space and coming from a clean place. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be really thinking about that. I actually have some patients I have to work with today. And so I'm going to be very intentional about listening from a, a clean place intentionally. So I, I love, I mean, thank you. That was gold for me. I'm so glad we had this time to talk. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much for being on the podcast with me. I have loved this conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, mic drop kind of, right? Like coming from that clean place is pretty amazing. Um, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of it, but when she gave that language to what she was talking about in the context of relating with people, you know, we were talking about the role of stress and that sometimes, you know, people just need a place to be heard. And we have to protect ourselves as practitioners to make sure that we are showing up in a way that's going to allow them to be able to heal and allow them to be able to have that safe place uh, to be and not bring our own stuff into it. So I've, I've been really thinking about this a lot. It was, it was, you heard, it was a bit of a mic drop for me. I went, oh, that was a, such a good reminder. So if you'd like to find and follow Teresa, you are absolutely welcome to. She lives in Connecticut. So her Instagram is her name, Dr. Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, Alessio. And she's on LinkedIn as well. So I'd love for you to connect with her. She really is a sweetheart. And I hope you enjoyed this interview. And I will, without further ado, let you get on about your day. Thank you so, so, so much again for being part of my world, for being an avid podcast listener. And I hope this episode um, made your heart smile and gave you a little bit of a different way to reframe, rethink about how you're interacting with your patients. So there you go, my friends, another week down. I'll see you next week on the Clinical Entrepreneur Podcast. As usual, rate, review, subscribe, and then chat with me on social media if you'd like. Dr. Rhonda Nelson, D-R-R-O-N-D-A-N-E-L-S-O-N. All right, have a great week. Take care. I'll see you next week on the next episode of the Clinical Entrepreneur Podcast. Bye for now.